Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Yeah, it's great to uh, be with you this evening and um, to bring the word. I got to preach up at the Maitland service this morning. And afterwards, someone said to me, that was really good, but not as good as Josh last week. So, yeah, a little, uh, little highbrow for Maitland, perhaps. Um, I, uh, I'm preaching today from Matthew chapter 7. And um, so if you've been paying attention, then you'd know that we've been moving through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And today I get to speak about the bit where Jesus is talking about don't judge. And some of you really need to hear this. So let's, uh, let's take a look um, at Matthew chapter 7, if you're reading along, beginning in f- verse 1. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So um, I want to begin by talking about MasterChef. And um, some of you might be fans of the show MasterChef. I'm not really at all. But I'm sure you're all aware that it's a show in which people come and they cook food and they have judges who eat the food and, and give them feedback and, and, and judge them on their performance as, as chefs. And they've had a, a few um, celebrity guest judges that they've got in over the, uh, the seasons that MasterChef has been running. They've had Nigella Lawson, um, they've had Gordon Ramsay, they've had Heston Blumenthal, but I want to um, just draw attention to one special judge that they had in one of the seasons, and that was the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama came on and he t- tried the food, but he refused to make a judgment because he didn't think that it was right to do so according to his religion. And the Guardian uh, wrote up a story about this, and they said that while His Holiness clearly enjoyed some of the dishes, particularly the yummy Sri Lankan vegetarian curry, he refused to render judgments, and he said, as a Buddhist monk, it is not right to prefer this food or that food. And so I'm going to do a little bit of um, amateur sort of comparative religion this evening, and I don't want anyone to think that I'm here to denigrate Buddhists or here to preach Buddhism. But in a, in a sixth-century Buddhist text um, from Zen Buddhism, it says, "To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind." And what what that's saying is that to sort the phenomena of the world into like versus dislike gets in the way of enlightenment. And why am I saying this? Well, the point that I'm, the reason that I'm saying this is because um, Jesus isn't the only person who has proclaimed value in being able to free ourselves from the burden of judgment. 
This is something that we can see in religions, in spiritual traditions right around the world. In fact, Jesus wasn't even the first person to come along and say, free yourself from judgment. You know, we can see it in Buddhism and we can see it in, in Hinduism and, and in, in other places through history. There's a universal understanding, it seems, that when we free ourselves from judgment, that somehow that takes us to some kind of elevated spiritual plane, some kind of transcendent place, some, some sort of place of enlightenment. And so what's the difference here with Jesus coming along and saying, do not judge? Well, what I, want to, what I want to stress this evening is that Jesus comes not just to teach us about don't judge, but he actually comes to be the very means by which that transcendence into a higher spiritual plane becomes an actual reality. So there's three things that I want to pull out very quickly from this passage that I've read. And that is, firstly, the danger of complacency, the danger of judgmentalism, and then the freedom that we can experience from judgment. So let's look at those three things. So the danger of complacency. Now, Buddha said that we must first thoroughly perceive the illusionary illusory nature of things that jerk us around, including likes and dislikes, or words to that effect. And what this means is, is that there's a sense in which in order to transcend putting things into categories and saying this is good and this is bad, we have to recognise that all of life is illusory. And so in order to transcend it, we just transcend it. We just have to say it's all illusion that will eventually, like drops of rain, just be subsumed into the ocean one day. And, uh, and so we have a degree of non-attachment that we take towards it. But if this is all that it means to be non-judgmental, I, I have to ask the question, how do you practice non-judgment without becoming amoral or complacent or immoral even yourself? And that seems to be a real conundrum because, you know, I, I feel like even in my own life experience, I can see people who, who wear a badge of non-judgment. I'm non-judgmental, you know. I make no judgments around the peop- about the people that I'm around. But actually, what it is, if you look a little, if you scratch beneath the surface, is, is some kind of complacency or even some kind of amoralism which is parading itself as non-judgment. In Shakespeare's play, Henry IV, part one and part two, this, I think, is captured quite beautifully because you have Henry IV, who's the king on the throne, and then you have his son, Hal, who eventually goes on to become Henry V. But at this point of the story, he's out living, he's not living in the castle. He decides, I want nothing to do with, um, with my responsibility as heir to the throne. He's not living in the castle. He's out living in a pub, and he's hanging out there with the people who inhabit the pub, the thieves and the prostitutes and the revelers. And you, you look at this, and for us, you know, as followers of Jesus, we can look at a person, a character like Hal, hanging out there with these people, and we go, ah, I get it. He's being like Christ, and he's practicing non-judgment towards the people that, that you know, the, the ruling classes would look down upon. But actually, as the play goes on, you, you begin to see that Hal has ulterior motives. And he has a soliloquy, a moment where he's alone on stage after all of the people in the pub have left, and he says, I know you all, 
and will a while uphold the unyoked humour of your idleness. So Hal knows what he's doing. What he's really doing is hanging out with these people because these people don't hold him to account. When he's in the castle, he's held to account. There's things expected of him. But when he's here, he gets to do whatever he wants. He gets to hang about in the unyoked humour of their idleness. And, you know, it makes me think of a friend of mine who, she was, had a period, she told me about this period where she was hanging out with a, this guy who she loved hanging out with because she felt like she could just be whoever she wanted to be while she was around him because uh, what they used to do, what he used to do all the time was sit on the couch all day, watch TV and eat junk food. And they'd watch like trash, absolute trash TV and eat absolute junk. And they'd, he'd sit there all day and, uh, and she became friends with him and she'd go around and that's what they would do. And she loved it because he didn't judge her. She could do whatever she wanted, be whoever she wanted to be, and she didn't feel any judgment from this guy. And in turn, she chose not to make any judgment about him either. And together they enjoyed this time sitting together day in, day out, on the couch, watching trash, eating trash, and loving it. And then there came a moment where she sort of had an out-of-body experience and she saw herself sitting on the couch and, and suddenly saw the hours and the days and the weeks ticking away. And she thought, what am I becoming? And in that moment, she realised, in order to actually improve in life and become a version of herself, a better version of herself, a version of herself that she actually liked the look of, she had to start making a judgement about how she was using her time. And inevitably, she had to actually make a judgment about how he was using his time as well. And she had to realise, I can't hang around this guy anymore simply because his behaviour is a bad influence on me. And so she realised that what she thought was just non-judgment of, you know, one kind or another was actually just a form of complacency. So is Jesus saying to us here when he says, do not judge, is he saying... Don't have standards for yourself because if you have standards for yourself, you are inevitably going to have standards by which you view the world around you. But what Jesus is saying doesn't mean don't make judgments because we can see even in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, as we've been moving through it, we've been seeing that all of the elements of the Sermon on the Mount in order to be lived out require that we as his followers have to make judgments. We have to make value judgments of how we spend our time, of of how we behave. I mean, even in the last verse of this passage, it says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and turn and tear you to pieces. I mean, how can you determine whether or not someone is a dog or a pig without making some kind of judgment? You have to do it. It's, in, it's impossible not to. So what we can see is that Jesus is saying that we have to maintain discernment. He's not, this is not an invitation for us to become complacent. Dogs and pigs here refers to anyone who's rejected the gospel with scorn or contempt. 
And holy things, Jesus is expressing here that holy things should only be given to those who are able to appreciate them. It's picking up on a, on a principle that we can see in Ecclesiastes where it says there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. Well, how do you know when it's the time to speak and when is it the time to be silent? Well, you have to use discernment. In order to use discernment, you're going to have to make a judgment. It seems to me that it's impossible for us as human beings to, to be able to break free really from making judgment. Like even if we tell ourselves, I'm not making, I'm, I'm freeing myself from making judgments, we're only really kidding ourselves. We might just be moving from one set of judgments to another, but making judgments is, a, is in the very fabric of who we are as human beings. I was talking recently to a guy who um, is in a marriage and uh, the marriage is challenging for him at times and it's challenging because his wife is always nitpicking about little things and uh, it, it, you know he was expressing to me in a moment of confidence that it was really really annoying and I said I said Graham no um, <clears throat> and uh, but he, he said that it, it, it's gotten to the point where if I'm in the bathroom, I look in the mirror to see, do I have a smudge? Do I have some kind of crease? Or do I have a bit of food or something like that? Because if I do, she's going to notice it and that's all she'll be able to talk about. And, uh, you know, we'll go out for dinner and we'll sit down and she'll say, why, why is your, you know, hair out of place? And so, he, you know, he came to me once and told me about this situation and, and, and sort of said, you know, this is, you know, I... I he said, look, I say to her, you know, is this really what we need to focus on? But it doesn't seem to change. And I caught up with him recently. And I said, how's that all going? And he said, I've just learned not to care. So he's taken this non-attachment approach. He's like, now if she says you've got something in your shirt, I just go, Meh. And he said, but this is what I do. I let my car become an absolute pigsty. And every time she says to me, when are you going to clean up your car? I think... I'm adding another week. And, uh, and he let, he goes, this is the one domain where I can let it become, where, where she can't stop me from making it become uh, an absolute dump. And I thought, that sounds really healthy. <laughs> Has he really freed himself from the judgment of her behaviour? Not really. I mean, he said, oh, I've just, I've learnt not to care. And he said, you know, and she will, she will, you know, eventually she will change over time of her own volition. If I just choose to just show, look, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to let it get to me. I'm going to have a non, you know, she's illusory anyway. She'll just, she'll vanish. So actually, in that moment of being like, right, the car is my act of rebellion, what he's showing is that he still feels the same way about her behaviour. He's just, he's just trying to suppress it. And I think sometimes our, you know, our saying, I'm not going to judge is actually really just a, a suppressing or a complacency. So then what is Jesus getting at here? How do we, how do we do what he's saying of not judge without, without becoming complacent or out, without becoming amoral? He says at the beginning, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Measured to you by who? Measured to you by God. The same measure, you know, 
in Bible times, like measures are really important. You think you're in a society where it's like it's markets and that kind of thing, and someone comes and says, "All right, I need three measures of grain." Well, it's very important that you be a consistent kind of person who measures out with one measure, the same that you would expect someone. You know, that's how a healthy society would work. If you say, "I'm going to use a teaspoon to measure out," you know, my grain, but then I I expect you to use a ladle with the uh, corn. Um, that's completely inconsistent and that's not how the society would have worked. So if you're going to measure out teaspoons of grace to people, then you can expect God to measure out teaspoons of grace to you. This is what Jesus is saying. We might think that and go, well, that seems a little bit vindictive. You know, why, why, would, God, why would Jesus say that about God? Well, because what is actually at the heart of this and at the heart of all of the Sermon on the Mount, and if we miss it, we'll miss the whole thing, is that it looks like it's primarily about our relationships with other people, and it is partly about that, but it's all, all of it, primarily about our relationship with God. And when we met, when we, what's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on here is Jesus actually picking up, like right through the Sermon on the Mount, he's picking up on ideas through the Old Testament, and he's bringing them to fruition. He said, I'm didn't come to do away with the law, actually came to fulfill it. And what we're seeing here in this passage is something that goes right back to the very beginning of the Bible, right back to the beginning of Genesis, where we have Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, the very first humans, are placed in a garden and they are told they're allowed to eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And most of us know the story. Of course, they give in to the temptation and they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we might think, what's the big problem with eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I would have thought that as good religious people, we would want to have the knowledge between good and evil so that we can, um, that we can walk morally through life. What's this story getting at? Well, obviously, this is a story which is thousands and thousands of years old, and it's been picked apart and debated, um, and we can probably keep on doing that. But last year, there was a book that was put together by a, a professor of comparative religions. His name's Nathan French, and he, he looked at all of the different interpretations of, of this story about the tree through, through history, and he put them all together to, to try and work out what exactly is this story on about and and the work was called a theocentric interpretation of the knowledge of good and evil as the knowledge for administering reward and punishment what's that mean it means that what the story is saying is that when adam and eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil what they actually did was that they took on the wisdom for wielding ultimate power which means they said in that play in the, in that moment we're god now we're god now it's no longer god's responsibility to wield ultimate power it's mine it's the it's the uh, the knowledge for administering reward and punishment to the world around us and when we see jesus is getting to the heart here it's not talking about making value judgments it's about a heart issue of judgmentalism and actually having a judgmental attitude to the world around us where we say, God is no longer decider for you as to whether or not you are good or evil. It's now my job. I'm going to determine in my heart whether or not you are good or evil. And more than that, I'm going to decide what reward or what punishment you get for your behavior. I'm going to withhold this amount of love or I'm going to give you this based on your actions. And in that moment, we take the place of God. 
and we don't allow God to be judge. And so when we are unforgiving towards people, when we are unloving towards people, we're actually testifying our own arrogance in our heart and our own desire to be God instead of allowing God to be God. And in that way, we actually shut ourselves out from God's mercy and God's forgiveness. That's why Jesus is saying the same measure that you use, it will be used to you. Because if you, if you measure out small amounts of grace, it means, right, that's it, I'm God now. And so you're actually shutting yourself off from the ability to receive God's forgiveness. So what is our heart attitude towards other people? Is it fault-finding? Is it critical? Or is it gracious? And is it loving? And so it can seem like, all right, so I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be a judgmental person. And yet, at the same time, I don't want to be a complacent person. So what do we do? Do we, we take on this thing of non-attachment to try and remove ourselves? In that um, article from The Guardian, the writer says that is, talks about this idea and says, maintaining equanimity can seem like walking a tightrope. Lean one way and you're a moralizing busybody. Lean the other way and you're enabler. Now, they're talking about the Buddhist religious experience. But as I read that, I go, man, that sounds so much like what it feels like to be a Christian sometimes. Trying to work out, okay, am I, am I being gracious or am I enabling somebody? You know, am I being moral or am I being judgmental? And so the writer says, lean the other way and you're enabler, lean this way and you're a moralizing busybody, and then says, this is not a discipline that can be mastered in three easy steps. And that's the end. And so what we get here, we get this same conundrum. It seems like we're getting the same conundrum in the Sermon on the Mount, is that we're going, well, Jesus, how do we do this? How do we, how do we walk that tightrope between not wanting to fall over to this side or, 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 or to that side? I mean, it seems so bizarre that we have this leader, we follow this leader, Jesus, who writes, or doesn't write, but he gets written about him that he said, do not judge and yet we as Christians have got a reputation of being uh, the most judgmental people in the world. And so what's going on here? Well, what's going on here is that what we see in this passage is that Jesus is trying to say to us, I'm not asking you to walk some kind of spiritual, moral tightrope. I'm actually coming to lift, pick you up entirely. This is not about us walking some kind of spiritual moral tightrope. It's about allowing ourselves to be picked up by someone else and taken to a new plane, a higher plane, all together. Which brings me to the last point, which is the freedom from judgment. He says in verse 5, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, you might hear that and you go, okay, so Jesus is giving a little um, analogy in which there's a person who's got a speck in their eye and a person who's got a plank in their eye, um, which, where do I fit into that story? I think I'm the person with the speck. That's not an option which Jesus is leaving. You know, he's not just talking to one person here or talking to two people. He's talking to a whole crowd. So in this scenario, who's the person that has the plank in their eye? It's the whole crowd. And the person next to them, is the person with a speck. For all of us hearing this, we have to recognize I am the person with a plank in my eye. And you might think, I don't have a plank in my eye. But if we actually start to say in our heart, you know, look at, take a look at the person next to you. 
right now, just do it. If you actually start to say in your heart, that person is a worse person than me, and I know that some of you probably do that, what does that mean to actually look at the person next to you and say, they're in, say in your heart, they're actually a worse person, or I'm a better person than they are? What, what you're actually doing when you say that in your heart is you're actually admitting to the fact that you haven't let God reveal to you the depths, I'm sorry to say, of your own ungodliness. Because how many blind spots do you have? Well, the thing with blind spots is that you don't know how many you have because they're your blind spots. But all of us, you know, any of us who have been walking, you know, doing life with the Holy Spirit for long enough would know that there's come moments where the Holy Spirit has revealed to us some kind of blind spot. And you go, I never knew I had that. That's why it's a blind spot. And you don't know how many more you have. But I can tell you that, that this is a journey for the rest of our life of God revealing more and more areas for improvement. The theological term is sanctification, but it just simply means being made more and more like Jesus. I'm not saying being saved. You know, we're already saved. That happens at the cross. I'm talking about the journey of being made more and more like Jesus. You know, John Newton it was the, the guy from the 18th century who wrote um, the words to the hymn Amazing Grace. And he actually worked in the African slave trade. And his conversion experience happened like this. He's on one of the ships in the year 1748, and there's a huge storm raging. And he wakes up in the middle of this huge storm. It's off the coast of Ireland, and it's so bad that it's at the point where the boat is about to sink and everyone's about to die. He's not a Christian, but in that moment, he cries out to God for mercy. And... Before long, the storm subsides and he decides, okay, I'm going to be a Christian. And from that moment on, he decided to be a Christian. But it wasn't until years later, actually, when he was in Africa, um, you know, at the, at the pointy end of the slave trade, that he started to actually have a conviction about the industry that he was involved in. In 1763, so he's converted in 48, but it's not until 63 that he writes, I was greatly deficient in many respects. I cannot consider myself to have been a believer in the full sense of the word until a considerable time afterwards. What's going on here? Was he not a Christian? Well, I think he probably was a Christian. It's just that how does God work when he wants to reveal our blind spots to us? He wants to work graciously. I mean, he may well have been saying it to him from day dot, and it wasn't until that moment that he actually, John Newton, had the ears to be able to hear it. But God is patient when he works with us, and he's like a gentleman. Um, he's gracious, and he's, and he's kind. And all of us have been tried and found wanting, but Jesus has dealt with, our, with it for all of us. And in that moment where we allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us yet another reason that it should have been us upon the cross, we can become despondent about that. Uh, we can think, I'm a failure. Or we can, like John Newton, see that as a moment to get down on our knees and say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Jesus isn't saying to us that we shouldn't be involved in the business of addressing other people's blind spots. You know, he says, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will cl see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. 
So he's not saying, you know, you don't have any business in trying to help other people with their blind spots. But what he's saying is, is that after you've got gone through the process of actually allowing God to show you the, the depths of your need for him, how much does that profoundly transform your approach to going towards someone else and trying to show them, you know, show them a blind spot as an act of love. And the interesting thing about, about showing someone a speck in their eye is that you've actually got, they've got to allow you to be close enough in order to see it. This isn't about standing from a distance and hurling mud at someone that you're not in relationship with. This is actually being in the kind of relationship with someone where you're close enough to, to get up and to delicately do the work of trying to get a speck out of their own eye. And how the heck are you going to be able to do that if you've got a plank in yours? When I was leading the service last week, I got off stage and I, and I went to the bathroom and I realised that my fly had been down the whole time. And... Um, I got out my phone and I realised that John Crawford, who's the, uh, one of the worship pastors here, had just sent me an emoji of a fly. <laughs> very, very kind. I mean, not heat helpful because I didn't see it until afterwards, but, and I didn't have my phone on me. But, you know, his heart was in the right place. He was trying to do it in a way which was kind, which was subtle, Think about when you, you know, you're out for dinner and you've got a bit of food in your teeth. How do you like to be told? You like to be told, but how do you like to be told? You like someone to, um, you know, to, you like to do these. When you're out with friends, you know, you know, if it's, you know, your wife, then it's obviously it's, you've got food in your teeth. But, uh, you know, if you're out with, I'm not even married, but I, I, I know enough married people. Um, you're out with friends, you know. You want your spouse to, to, to be delicate, to be kind about it, not to humiliate you. And if we've got a speck in our eye, you know, if someone else has got a speck in their eye, that's how we need to deal with them. And we will when we recognise that's how God continues to deal with us. Graciously, patiently, kindly. Not saying, not coming with an expectation of you need to have everything right, right away or it's game over. But actually recognising I'm, I'm, we're on a journey together. So that same John Newton said this, and I want to finish on this, and um, perhaps the band can come up. He said, when people are right with God, they are apt to be hard on themselves and easy on other people. But when they are not right with God, they are easy on themselves and hard on others. Which one are you? We've got to get right with God. And we get right with God when we have a a, a rhythm of confession in our life, a culture of confession. You know, a lot of contemporary churches don't really have a culture of confession. It's actually a real area for improvement for us, I think. And, and this doesn't mean, you know, I'm not talking about air, airing your dirty laundry with someone that you're not in relationship with. I'm, I'm talking primarily about having a regular practice of confess, confessing your sins before God looking full in the face, choosing to look full in the face of the things that you know aren't right because you recognise that when you do so, God's going to meet you with grace and not, not with punishment. But more than that, coming before God and saying, what are the areas I don't know about? What are my blind spots? What are the things that I haven't seen? Do you allow yourself regularly to be put in that position where you, where you sit long enough with God to, to let him reveal to you something that you go, Wow, okay, I didn't, I didn't even see that. Because when we're in that habit, in that practice, 
that will pr- profoundly transform the way in which we see others. And, and any kind of value judgment that we make isn't coming from a heart of complacency or a heart of judgmentalism, but it's coming with the desire to show people the same love that we ourselves have experienced. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for these conundrums that you give us in your word because it's in these conundrums that we realize that we need you this isn't you're not giving us something that we can do on our own you're giving us something that demands reliance upon a transcendent good god so that's what we want this evening more than anything else is we just want to be right with you and we don't get there by walking some kind of moral tightrope we get there simply by coming before you in an attitude of repentance and confession, allowing you to make us right with you by your grace and your forgiveness. So we want to take that on board right now. I want to take that on board right now. And and more than that, I want to be transformed in the way that I see the world. If I've become complacent, if I've become judgmental, God, would you please show that to me and allow me to, to go out and and be the kind of person that you want me to be, bringing the kingdom of heaven to the world. I ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.